We usually hear about someone's struggle to success after they've made it to the top, after we already know their name. You never really hear about the struggle while it's happening. Welcome to the Facade Project. I'm breaking down the facades that people in LA put up just to make it in the entertainment industry. No more faking it till you make it with me. Open up and share your testimony. What's up, facaders? It is the last week of February. I can't believe how fast this month flew by. The month of February is always a short month, but this year it seemed extra short. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely ready to hit that reset button, setting new intentions, new goals to crush, and we're kind of rolling into a new season. We're rolling into spring, and with a new season comes a lot of change. So you might be taking a break from school for some of you. Uh, You might have something to look forward to in other departments, maybe work. Change in weather is definitely one, change of pace. So as things are starting to change, I kind of want you to check in on yourself. How are you feeling with all the change? Are you excited for it? Are you anxious at all? How are you accomplishing your goals? Are you where you thought you were going to be in 2018? Why? Why not? Start asking these questions. Start writing out your intentions, start just talking about it with friends, check in on each other and be an accountability check for somebody and just watch how your life starts to change. This week's episode is in continuation of last week's episode where I talk a little bit about my personal views on mental health. This episode features the founder and creator of Black Soul Healing, Danika Jenkins. She has quite an extensive background in mental health. She graduated at the top 10% of her class and is working to get her doctorate degree at Howard University. I had the pleasure of connecting with her online, and I thought it would be an amazing episode to create something focused primarily on mental health with where we're at in our society right now. Um, In this episode, we specifically talk about mental health affecting communities of color. We don't shed light on mental health nearly enough, and we definitely don't acknowledge how important our mental well-being is being a person of color. Danica, who is a licensed mental health clinician and a six-figure wellness coach, talks to me in this episode about some of the trials and tribulations she's gone through on her road to Black Soul Healing, which is her company. And we talk about the facades within the mental health system, when it comes to people of color, some history, psychology in this space, and so, so much more. This was such a powerful conversation. I learned a lot about how the past, especially slavery, has had an enormous effect on our community's mental well-being. It always angers me when people continue to say things like, we need to put our history behind us, or... Racism, segregation, and slavery is in the past. Like, no, we are still dealing with the repercussions of how white racist Americans treated us. And I think this episode and Danica does a great job in breaking this down piece by piece. She was ready to break the facades. Are you? Danica, thank you so much for joining the Facade Project. I'm excited. I'm excited. So I saw your Instagram page. I don't know how I stumbled upon you, but you are the creator of Black Soul Healing. And when, what, what I kind of gather from your profile and what I loved so much about your profile is all the quotes um, and even the pictures, but the quotes specifically just sort of resonated with me. Um, each post I was like, yes, I feel that I needed to see that. So I kind of just want to talk about your background as a licensed mental health clinician and author and kind of what black soul healing is all about. Okay. Well, um, I can say I started my journey, um, as a mental health clinician, I will say when I was younger, you know, you always have like that one person that you could talk to. Mm-hmm. all the time and so um i became that person for just everybody like my mom my brother my sister 
And um, so that prompted me to go to school. I went to Morgan State in Baltimore and I studied psychology. And during my time in school, um, my grandmother passed away. And then on the night of her, the night before her funeral, my, um, my uncle passed away. And so I found myself actually giving my own self like a sort of kind of grief counseling um, in a sense. And so um, I kind of left it there until I graduated from Morgan. And then right after I graduated from Morgan, my great grandmother, she was diagnosed with cancer. And so I spent about a year and a half in the hospital with her. And during that time, she told me, like, hey, you need to go to school. You need to go back to school. What are you going to do? And I told her, well, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I am going to try to go and get my master's in counseling and see how that goes. And so she um, was with me when I applied to go to school. And then my last semester, she passed away. And so, um, and right after she passed away, I found my stepfather dead in the kitchen. And so um, that really was like a very, very, very tough time for me. Um, and that that's when Black Soul Healing like really came into play for me. Um, I started doing a lot of reading about grief counseling and how um, within the Black community, it's kind of like taboo to, to go to a counselor when you're going through death. Um, you normally go to your pastor or you're told to go pray. And for me, that just wasn't enough. And so um, I just started like reading a lot. And then I also went to, I traveled to West Africa during that time, about two months after all of that had happened. And I did workshops on forgiveness. And um, they really told me like, hey, you know, you all need to really just pay more attention to healing your soul. It's about mental health, but how do you heal your soul? And that really did stick with me. And so, yeah, that's how Black Soul Healing got started. And that's how I got started as a licensed mental health clinician. Wow. Well, I yeah. um, am so sorry that you had to deal with death so early on. And, you yeah. know, all of the people that are close to you, you know, you, it seems like you lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so in doing that, I mean, dealing with grief and things like that, how how would you say, what really got you through it? Was it going to a counselor yourself? Was it researching and kind of just seeing um, who else you could talk to besides that pastor you were mentioning? How did you really just get through your personal grief? Um, I would say it, it's a combination. It was a combination for me. Um. I'm heavily spiritual, but at the same time, I also recognize the importance of restoring your restoring your mental. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, when you go through certain things, you know, sometimes you might pray, sometimes you might do yoga, sometimes you might meditate. Um, like right now, I'm lighting a candle. You know, you might light a candle. You might light incense. You may pray to your ancestors, um, but for me, it was like using all of those things together really helped me to get to a point where I could actually go and talk to a counselor. Um, And I found my counselor through my program at Howard. Um, I attended Howard University. So I found my counselor there at the counseling center. And um, one thing that really stuck with me, they told me, hey, look, mental health is not just black or white it's all the gray areas that you can think of and whatever you need to do for yourself that's what you need to do um you can't let what you're going through kill you because if you do then you won't have the strength that you need in order to carry on um and that really stuck with me and so it was just like a combination of everything my therapist really helped me to see that you know mental health is just it's holistic. You can't yeah. really use just one way to really get through. And I know that every day is always something different for me. Like one day I might read a quote from the Bible. The next day I might read a research article that talks about grief and loss within the black community. It just kind of depends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I make, I make sure that um, now I heal myself from every area 
every area because that's the only way that I could really get through. And, and that includes the mental health part. Like, I see my therapist every week, and I talk to him about this, too. Like, hey, you know, I'm talking to you, but when I leave, you know, I'm going to yoga. Right. That's what I need to do for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say it's a combination of, of, of everything. I love how you say, you know, it's not black and white. It doesn't matter, you know. It can and it it can, it can really affect any of us. Um and even when I was thinking back on my profile on my page with the facade project what I'm doing, I have like a very just standard black and white aesthetic, but I always say, you know, it never is black and white. There's that gray area. There's always going to be things that you're going through and it's how you get through. And especially in the black community at like how you bring up, it's kind of taboo, right? Like we don't, it's not normalized to go see a counselor or a therapist and mm-hmm. especially in a home a black home my parents mm-hmm. personally were really strict and it was more of like a do what i say not what i do kind of thing mm-hmm. so i kind of want to talk about um the black community and what you see is the issue with mental health and mm-hmm. mental well-being in our community oh this is kind of <laughs> this is like my soapbox kind of response um, but I see mental health in the black community as something that's being more accepted now, just because there are so many different environmental factors that can influence the way in which you think, feel, and just move and groove in the world, especially as a black person. Um, and because it's so, I don't want to generalize the overall black community, but I can speak from I mean, I'm from D.C., so I can speak from our area. Um, we have a resurgence of black folk who are seeking mental health therapy, but it's just because they feel like there's no other option. Like, I really need help, so let me talk to somebody. How can I get through the anxiety that I'm feeling? How can I get through the depression that I'm feeling? And because there is a resurgence of that happening, I feel that the overall taboo is 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 a narrative that um, I feel like we have been told over and over and over again in order to really keep us in the mental bondage that we have experienced since we were enslaved. Um, And for me, um, I really do believe that if we continue to have conversations like we're having right now, then many black people will understand that it's okay to see a therapist. And when I say see a therapist, I'm saying there are, you can go to someone's office and and see a therapist. You can get a therapist that comes to your home. Mental health is more accessible now than it was before. And I really think that people know that there are options out there for, for them to seek help. That's really what I've been hearing a lot. Like, hey, I didn't know that a therapist can come out to your home and talk to you. Right. Or I didn't know that I could meet my therapist at Starbucks and we can sit and have a conversation and no one would ever know. Um, it's just more so like knowing like what is out there and the help that's out there. Like I know some, even some churches, they're being more accept, accepting of mental health by utilizing counselors and people who are actually trained um, before the black community, I really just want to just stress that there are resources out there. Um, If you're experiencing depression, anxiety, eating disorders, if you're experiencing issues with body image, even um, if you're experiencing like suicidal thoughts, or if you're thinking about taking your life, there are like black therapists, black psychologists who are dedicated to the movement of making sure that our people are liberated from mental bondage. And that's what's so exciting about this particular time. People are more open to it, but I just think that they need to know, like, hey, like, this is out there for us. Yeah. Um, and that's, like, the, one, of the perp- one of the missions of Black Soul Healing is to let the Black community know, like, hey, there has been a recycled narrative that there aren't clinicians of color that look like you, that when you go into an office, that there won't be a doctor or a psychiatrist or a psychologist that looks like you, but I'm telling you, 
we're out there. Yeah. We're out there, you know, doing what we need to do to make sure that people know, like, hey, there is hope. Yeah, I really love your mission. And that's part of the reason why I reached out to you. You know, it's so true that there are there are ways to get help. I think sometimes people think, and especially in the black community, mm-hmm. they think that, you know, I can handle it. I can do mm-hmm. it. You know, I got this. Like, okay. but it's almost like accepting not the defeat because it's not like you're not defeated and you're not crazy for the feelings that you have like everybody feels this way but it's more so of like just kind of I guess what's ingrained in us and how Mm -hmm. we were brought up and even when Mm -hmm. you talk about slavery and bondage like Mm -hmm. if you think about slavery you know we had to kind of suppress our emotions and our our true feelings because we weren't allowed to express that so Mm -hmm. I kind of want to ask in the research that you've been doing and stuff have you kind of I guess uh seen that slavery and stuff like that kind of correlates to what we're going through now in the black community with this problem? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so this is like, it's, it's not complex at all, but because the sole premise of um, mental health, like it started as a vocation, it started like vocational, like with career counseling, with people who were coming back from the war, they were trying to help them to establish some kind of job so that's like the really like the basis of like mental health like it comes straight out of vocational counseling and it kind of branches out into really exploring like okay so hey like you're feeling this way come sit on my couch so that you can talk but really back then way back then probably in the 1900s you, I would say that uh, mental health was really only accessible to the affluent white people who were able to afford to go into therapy three to four times out of the week and spend their money to talk about their problems. But as time moved on and you go into the 1960s, you have like this you know, the civil rights movement, but then you also have, like, black psychologists who are being trained in order to learn how to deal with the particular issues within the black community. In my research, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but we have an organization by the name of the Association of Black Psychologists, and they were really, really, really dead set on making sure that there was a psychological thought process surrounding black folk. Everything that's black, talking about going back to Africa, talking about being African-American in America, talking about enslavement and how that really put a mental strain on the black mind. And so in my research, I've realized that being black in America it causes and it mimics different symptoms from depression. It can mimic different symptoms from anxiety. It can mimic different symptoms from schizophrenia. Why? Because right now we are three to four generations out of slavery. So if you think about the psychological trauma that our ancestors have experienced and how that has translated from generation to generation to generation to generation, now we're dealing with the aftermath of what our ancestors didn't deal with psychologically. They weren't able to go and seek a therapist. Yes, they may have been able to go talk to Big Mama. They may have been able to go talk to their cousins. But right now what we're experiencing as a generation is a transmission of psychological trauma from enslavement and that really is like this it's like this huge 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 boom of substance abuse violence in our communities um suppression of emotions as you mentioned before and then also all of those three things translating into the future generations that are coming after us Right. And so you have people like Dr. Kevin Washington, Dr. Angela Ferguson, Dr. Um, Joy, I can't ever pronounce her last name, but I'll call her Dr. Joyce. They talk about like post-slave traumatic syndrome. Dr. Kevin Washington, he talks about pests. Pest is really like the transmission of trauma over generations and how that um, exacerbates psychological thought and psychological trauma i'll use trauma how that exacerbates our psychological trauma 
And it's really kind of difficult to talk about that because really psychology wasn't meant for black folk. Mm. And that's the way um, that many of the organizations have really framed it. It's not meant for us. Our, what we're going through really doesn't matter. Experiencing racism within America or experiencing white supremacy um, and like universally really doesn't matter because what really matters is the money. We, we don't care really how you feel, but you know we're going to suppress what you're talking about and just kind of right. lump it into depression. Right. Or lumping into, oh, you're you're experiencing symptoms of anxiety, so let me give you a Xanax so that you know you you're just fine. And so my research is really just focused on, you know, studying different black psychologists and what they have to say about what we're experiencing today. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so. Wow. So that's kind of interesting that you bring up that the system kind of wasn't meant for us. Oh, yeah. Um, definitely. Yeah, that's I've I kind of want to have you seen the movie Fences? Mm-hmm. So Denzel Washington did an amazing job in that film, but yes. he was kind of like the character that m- like mentally, psychologically abused his his kid. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there was adultery in that movie. There was um, suppressing of his emotions with alcohol and, you know, telling his child that he couldn't go for his dreams, which was really football, then that he needed to go get a job because that's what he did. And, you know, he had his dad had several brothers and sisters from different wives. Like he never really even had a relationship with his father. And then he's trying to there was a lot in that movie, basically, that centered around um, psychological trauma and mental uh, instability. So with the movies, I guess what I'm trying to ask is with movies like that coming out now that we see and stuff, what's your take on that? Like being in this world of mental health and do you feel like people are really understanding what we're what's being put out in the media? I think that, um, well, I don't think, I know. I know that with movies like that, it creates a recycled narrative that we won't ever get past the 1960s or we won't ever Mm. get that. Like, we won't ever just propel forward. And for me, that is um, what I call a mental representation of what it is to be black in America. And so if we continue to um, explore those narratives, then we'll stay stuck in that particular time frame. Um, it's just now recently that we're seeing like positive images of black people in media where um, we're able to associate something in our minds to what they're doing so that we can feel great just like they are. Right. Um, and I think that with that particular movie, I watched it and it made me very, very, very sad. And it also made me angry um, because... When you think about the black man in America, that's the image that you that you create in your mind. Like the Denzel Washingtons, like the, the character that he played, he was he was a drunk. He was someone who worked in order to provide for his family. He was an adulterer and he was someone who really diminished the dreams of his child, which also caused his child to resent him. And then that carried on into the next generation because, of course, you saw that at the end of the movie, the the brother and the sister, they had to relive the same psychological trauma that their father left them when he died. Mm -hmm. So if we're continuing to explore the same narrative of, okay, my father was a drunk. Yeah, he provided for me, but at the same time, he cheated on my mama. He left my mama. Then after he left my mama, he died. You're translating that same exact narrative to the next generation. And mm. then the next generation is they can either live up to the previous generations, um, they can live up to that standard, or they can exceed the expectation of, okay, well, this is what my daddy was, so this is what I'm going to be. But if this is who your father was, then who, who are you supposed to look up to? Right. Yeah. And how and how does that um and how does that shape your worldview and understanding of how you can move and move in the 
world. Like, can you move exactly like your father? Or can you be better? But how can you be better if you've never seen it? Right. How can you associate what it means to be a, a, a black man in America to something positive if you've only seen your father do that? Yeah. Um, and so the psychology of it is that what you see is what you is what you will emulate. That's yeah. a part of social sight. If you see, if, if you have a child that sees um, violence and aggression, they say that they're more likely to be violent and aggressive when they get older. But what if that child sees some something like Black Panther, like that just came out? What if they grow up seeing that? Right. What will they do with just that one mental representation of this one black man who's able to overcome his obstacles what could that do for that one child right like the narratives are totally different but the narrative that we've been seeing and and the messages that we've been fed over and over and over again is that oh well i need to in order for me to be a black man in america let me go out and drink or let me go out and, and sell drugs but that's all that they've been, you know, that's all that we've been seeing over yeah. the past couple of years. And um, I think, you know, there's a lot that is, there's a lot more that I have to say about that, but I'll just leave it that like, what are we transmitting to the next generation if we're just seeing what we're seeing on in media today? So Right. And yeah. it's good that you brought up Black Panther because the media and the, the world of film and I, I work in production. So to mm-hmm. see, just strong leads like Lupita Nyong'o and, you know, Daniel Kaluuya and directors like, um, what's his name? Uh, Ryan Coogler. Yeah, it's like, and he's 30. He's 31 or something like that. And if you, I think if you do your research, but then not everybody, I don't know. It's like, even just having a movie like Black Panther out there, I just think we live in such a transitional time where this is this is kind of amazing and um it's it's gonna benefit the next generation because this is what they're seeing in the media they get to go and and kind of have something to be proud of they can wear a costume if that's what they want to do in the theater and they can aspire to be like a superhero or one of the actors that they're seeing you know so i think we are very much in a transitional period and things are looking up but it's like it's still man i just feel mm-hmm. like it's just so deeply rooted and we will just okay. always have a long way to go especially like i kind of don't talk politics in my podcast but even with what we're seeing you know it's like after such a, a great administration with obama to now donald trump it's like mm-hmm it almost feels like a slap in the face. Like we were doing so well and now we've taken steps back. It's, it's just hard. I think. Yeah, most definitely. I think that with, um, with president Obama, he was like a symbol of hope for the black community. Yeah. Um, and for eight years we were able to, I would say live in like a fantasy. Yeah. Um, because he was there. It was like, you know, Obama's in office. So, you know, we're fine, you know, especially here in D.C. Like, you know, we're good. Obama is in, is in office and, you know, we're fine. Black people, you know, we're being respected or at least it felt that way. Um, and, you know, I don't really talk politics either. Like, I I don't. But I, I do recognize that um, now it's a different time that we're living in. Um, it's a different time where... I feel that as a black community, we're learning more um, the importance of relying on one another Mm, um, for support, Um, going to our own businesses, you know, even if we don't have the the resources, trying to find the resources so that we could support our own, Um, going to black therapists, you know, seeking out help. I think it's it's happening, but it's just what we see on a daily basis kind of conditions our minds to 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 not really see the progress that we're actually making. Um, and it's and it's hard. It's hard. Um, and that might be you know me speaking from a sense of privilege, but you know I try to stay as humble as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's just you know the the way that I'm seeing like the communities that I've 
grown up and like kind of rallied together, especially in the, in the era of Trump, it's more so to offer support to one another because we know that we can't get that support anywhere else. Um, creating enclaves of people who are different, but at the same time, making sure that we honor each other, even if we're different in our blackness. That's what I've been experiencing, you know, physically and um, on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, we're finding ways to combat white supremacy and racism and the politics that we are experiencing, but it's just in a different way. Yeah. Um, I agree. I agree 100%. I think, you know, what you said about supporting each other, whether it's financially, emotionally, mentally, is so important. And, you know, that's why I, I I love and hate social media because you can you know, cheer, root each other on from afar. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like you feel so alone sometimes Mm -hmm. with it too, which is why mental health is important. So it's like we just live in a world where it's just like interest. It's all so interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really do love just what you were about. And I'm rooting you on. And I know you're doing the same for me. (laughs) So I kind of want to go into facades because – Facades is like a front or a mask to hide who we truly are almost. So what kind of facades do you see in in your industry? Um, and what kind of facades do you think you put up maybe in your personal life too? Um, I think that there is always a facade of like, hey, everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Like I'm fine. Right. Um, I'm strong. You know, I'm a strong black woman. I, I, I can do it all. Um, and that is, I would say that's a facade that I used to put up, um, but Black Soul Heal, with doing Black Soul Healing and actually really being invested, um, first being invested in my sense of mental health and wellness, and then also being invested in making sure that other people kind of feel how I feel, Mm. um, really has helped me to break that facade, um, because... Uh, I can give you a little bit of my background. Um, I kind of did in the beginning, but um, I was enrolled in a a doctoral program for two years, and I was working a full-time job, and I was a mom. Um, I adopted my son. He was two months. And then two months after I adopted my son, um, I went directly into school. Um, So... uh, a doctoral program is very isolating. I was taking six classes, and of course, I was working a full-time job, and then we also had clinicals, which are like 16 to 20 hours a week. And then I was also a girlfriend and a sister and a daughter, yeah. um, going to church. You know, my schedule was always hectic. And I began to put up a facade of, hey, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, like, You know, I would be just running off of fumes and just one day I cried. I think it was a day in May. I cried so bad that I could not get out of the bed. Like, I told my mom, like, hey, I can't do this anymore. Like, I just can't. There's no way possible that I can continue life like this. And she said, well, you know, my mom, she she talks about facades, but she calls it taking off the mask. Mm-hmm. She was like, you know, you have to take off the mask and you just have to be you because if not, you being strong is going to kill you. Like you don't, mm. you don't have to be the, the textbook definition of strong. She was like, strong for, for a black woman means learning your limits and learning what does not serve you Mm. um and after that moment um i still cried i think i stayed in the house i didn't leave out the house for like four months um like i was just in the house and of course like i told you i have a three-year-old he's three now um i have a three-year-old son so it's just me and him every day for four months um, and for most of those, for most of those days, I cried, I cried, uh-huh. I cried. Like, I mean, every day I would just cry, like all day. Was, like, people would talk to me and I'm just crying. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with her? Like, 
I can't, I'm like, I can't do it no more. I can't do it no more. And so I tried to go back to school. This was actually last August. Um, and I was walking from class and I just cried. I was like, I just can't do this. I just can't do it. I can't do it. And my homegirl, she was just like, look, I will cry with you every day. She was like, but if you can't do this, you just can't do it. It's, it's okay if you can't do it. And that right there gave me the confirmation that I needed to just stop mm. and redefine what it meant to be strong, what it meant to be a black woman, what it meant to be a mother, what it meant to be, you know, I, I call myself a doctor now, but I mean, I'll be getting my doctor in about a year and a half, but what do, what do all those roles mean to me if I'm not good to myself? Mm. Um, and so that's when the mask like really came off. Like I was t- trying to take it off for the four months that I was in the house. It didn't work. But in that moment, I just had to redefine what it meant to be me. And that's when the facade was over. Yeah. And I think that that's the facade that many mental health professionals put on because we have to, we have to be strong for our clients. But I think that there's a redefining moment in everyone's career when you just say, look, like I'm human and yeah. You know, I wish, you know, I wish I was, you know, T'Challa, like, you know, I wish I was the <laughs> king of Wakanda, you know, but even he had his moments where he was just like, you know, doubting himself, yeah. but look at him, like, look at where he's at now, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a stretch, but you know, th- th- that's the, the kind of strength that we embody when we're able to take that, that mask off and just embrace our authenticity our I have braces excuse me our your authenticity (laughs) yes I love it I love it and I agree a hundred percent and I think you know you stopping to breathe and check in on yourself is what we all have to do and even though you are a, a mental health clinician and you do all of these things it's important to realize like you said you're human and you can't do it alone like your friend saying it's okay gave you the permission to just kind of check in on yourself right and Mm -hmm. that's just so important for your emotional mental physical well-being so Mm -hmm. thank you so much for being so transparent for sharing your truth and I kind of go into this next round of questions like going along with breaking the facade. So I'm just going to ask a couple questions and you just tell me the first thing that kind of comes to you. So with that being said, how do you check in on yourself? Ah, you check in on yourself by making sure that what you're doing is okay with you. Like I always ask myself, I, I, I talk to myself, you know, people say, don't talk to yourself in your mind. But it's really good to actually have that good self-talk. Yeah. And so before I make any decision, um, I always ask myself, like, hey, are you good with this? Like, are you okay? Like, do you feel good about this? And if I don't feel good about it, I'll say, you know, somebody asks me this. I'm like, okay, well, give me some time to think about it. Let me let me check my calendar. That's my favorite one. Let me check my calendar. <laughs> let me see. Let me see. Let me see about that. Yeah. Um, and what that does for me is, it creates a it creates a, a it creates a relationship with myself because I always realize that if I don't honor and respect and check in with myself, then I'm really doing myself a disservice because really what I'm getting into it, it, it has to do with me. Yeah. And if it doesn't agree with me or if I'm getting a bad feeling, it's just like look yeah um let me think about that right and i do that often often i'm like yeah let me let me ask all the questions yeah because i need to know and the more that i'm informed the more the the better i will be at making a more educated decision about how is this going to impact me because i'm realizing choices are very expensive Ooh, I like that. Whether it's your money or your time or your energy. Yes. You have to really check in. And so that's what checking in. I'm quoting you on that. Choices are expensive. Girl, I love that. Yeah, they're very expensive. What do you do when you have negative thoughts? I um, do a technique called thought stopping where 
I just imagine like me yelling at myself, like, stop. Like, like girl, stop. Or like, girl, bye. Like, come on. <laughs> like, stop. Like, yeah. stop it. Or if it is like, if, it, if it's something that I can't shake, I'll journal. I'll journal. Mm, yeah. And after I journal, I will talk to my therapist about it. Um, and I'll run it past him. And, and not really just not really to get like I don't do it to get feedback I do it because I'm learning to be more empowered in my decision making and so um, I talk to him about it all the time I'm like look does this make sense but if it does make sense then you know so we kind of do like you know do these different role plays and things like that especially when I experience negative self-talk and negative thoughts, really. And it helps out a lot because then you you learn how to trust yourself and your own judgments. Um, And then you also get to, like, once you really, you know, start journaling, you'll kind of see, like, hey, like, where is this negative thought coming from? Like, is it coming from me? Is it coming from you know, a past experience that I had that was negative, where is it coming from? And then you're able to learn how to put it into perspective. It doesn't happen overnight, I can say that, but, you know, as long as you're able to be self-reflective and understanding the the root of that thought, yeah, then, you know, it's it's helpful. Right. It's helpful. Now, what what's kind of the toughest lesson that you've learned, I guess, as a licensed mental health clinician? Ooh goodness um the toughest oh my goodness um uh I would say the toughest lesson that I've learned is that you cannot change anyone you can only change yourself Mm. um if people say that quote all the time and they don't realize the power that is behind that like it's so intense when you actually are in the trenches trying to like keep yourself constant but at the same time trying to help someone else to move forward yeah um it takes a sense of self-awareness that when you learn that you know when you're helping someone it's it's about meeting them where they are um not putting yourself first in that particular moment and that has been one of the toughest lessons for me because naturally as a woman as a black woman at that like I'm a helper like I want to see you succeed at anything that you do like I'm gonna push you mm-hmm. like whatever you need to do I'm gonna do it right um but in being a licensed mental health clinician like I had to step back. And I had to look at the person for who they were in the moment while at the same time seeing that their potential and letting them be independent and in getting to that particular goal. Yeah. And that's so hard. That is so that, hard. I agree. It's so hard. It's I like how you say you have to meet them where they are because it's oh, it's yeah. it's difficult. It's almost like, how are you not getting it? How are you not it's seeing like, it? You know? Yeah, and it's like yeah because you've seen it yourself and it's like you know it works you know it works and it's like Mm -hmm. you really do just have to let them kind of grow on and get there on their own and just be that cheerleader be that person that they can go to so you can just listen and that's so hard I agree um question how do you know that this dream and this path that you are on to getting your doctorate to working in this field is for you how do you know I know <laughs> it's so interesting that you asked me that. I was just talking about this earlier. Um, I know that this particular dream or passion is for me because it's so life changing. Um, it's it's literally literally life changing. Um, just to see where I was when I started. And then to see where I'm, where I'm at now, there's a huge transformation in just my confidence in myself. 
um, my ability to not just to change myself, but to to create and be the catalyst for change within my own family. Um, and that's very, very important to me because my family means everything to me. And to see them really like invested in me succeeding, this is how I know that this is really the path that I'm supposed to be taking. Um, and to just have like, to think back on conversation that I've had like with my great grandmother who's passed away or think back on conversation I've had with my grandmothers who've passed away and to go back to where my family is from like I was able to um, travel to the Gambia which is uh, a country in West Africa to go back there and to be welcomed by people who could potentially be like my family members it's like everything that I've done to this point it's like linked together yeah and it's so divine and sometimes I I get speechless when I think about it because you know when you're going after your dream and your passion when your steps are really ordered it's like there's nothing else that you could really do to make it right it's just right right you don't have like the like you can't say like okay I went from A to Z but it's like you just it's it just it's just laid out for you it's just that you have to just make it there you're always placed in the in the right place at the right time to learn the right lesson and then you're able to move on to bigger and better things and that's how I know that this is the, the dream and the passion and the path for me. That was a really good question. Thank you. Amen. I, everything you say, like, I agree with it wholeheartedly because it's what I've realized, too. It's like kind of like the stars align for you almost. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, it's kind of divine. It's like you're not taking the steps. You know it's of a higher power and you're just you're in it and you feel it and you're passionate about it. And that's, it's when you know, I I feel like really when you know, you know, and I feel like it it goes along with purpose. I talk a lot about purpose and why we are placed on this earth. And I feel like for you, just hearing you talk about why you're passionate about this and kind of what you've seen through your journey, there's no doubt in my mind that that's your purpose, you know? So I love it. Final question. Um, what is your favorite podcast or book or even event that you've been to that's just kind of transformed your life? Oh, my goodness. Um, so I will say it's this conference that I go to. That I try to go every year. Mm-hmm. It's with the Association of Black Psychologists. Um they they host their conference in different um, in different cities, but it's like all of the black psychologists from like all over the world, like we all gather in this one room, and most of us are African American, and it's and it's it's like it's like Africa in a in a hotel, like we're all like dressed in our garb, or for me because. You know, I'm from DC. Like I wear my Jordans and my and my and my <laughs> and my jersey, so I'm like, you know, real swagged out. <laughs> but it's like so black, so black that it's refreshing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like my first conference there, I was so afraid because I'm just like, I don't know what I'm going to experience when I get there. But it was like a surge of energy around black people and mental health and I was in love for an entire week it felt like I did not want to leave because (laughs) it was just like you know why not be around black people talking about things that are impacting the black community and then on top of talking about things that are impacting the black community we're talking about how we're going to reform psychology to fit what exactly we're experiencing we're writing articles, we're doing research, we're doing community-based um, projects and 
talking about therapy modalities to really, really, really engage the black mind and reconnect the black psyche back to back to Africa, talking about just everything that's black in psychology. <laughs> and that is just yeah. like I get so excited. Like I'm getting excited talking about it now. Like right. the conference is in August and I'm like, dang, I ain't registered yet, let me go. <laughs> I think it's so great when you can just be in a room with like-minded individuals like they're all doing great things like you're doing and you really you vibe and bounce ideas off of that and when you're like in the same room as all these amazing individuals it's like the energy is there the vibe is there so I can definitely see how that was a transformative and oh, such yeah. a fun event for you um then yeah. you got Thank you so much again for this powerful conversation. I have so thoroughly enjoyed uh, the time that you took out of your day to talk with me about just mental health and our community. Where can my listeners, if they want to find more about Black Soul Healing, if they want to find more information, if they want to reach out to you personally about services, um, how can they get best connected with you? The best way to get connected with me is to go to my Instagram page because I am there all the time. It is at Black Soul Healing. So they can find me there. Like you can email me. You could text me from there. You could go see my website from there. Um, if you're interested in any of my books, like you can go right on Instagram. Everything is right there. Um, I'm not too active on Facebook. Like Instagram is like the main way that you can reach me. So. amazing again thank you so so much i personally love seeing your page it's uplifting me daily so i definitely encourage you if you're listening follow black soul healing follow danica and cheer my girl on as she gets her doctorate thank you thank you it's been a pleasure chica it was such a pleasure talking with Danica. I hope you all have learned something from this episode. I hope you could take away something that you can then attribute to your life. Um, if you want to follow Black Soul Healing, again, her Instagram is at Black Soul Healing, but it's spelled a little differently. So it's Black Soul as in S O L E healing as in h-e-e-l-i-n-g black soul healing and danika is just an amazing spirit it was so great connecting with her i'm sorry if my energy is a little off i've been sick all weekend trying to kick whatever this weather change that's happening in la where it's hot it's cold so forgive me for that if you liked this episode please 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 go on itunes for me and rate and review give me five stars great response great feedback i thrive off of that and last but not least just huge huge shout out to anybody who's bought some of my merchandise online um i am selling t-shirts pop sockets and water bottles and I am doing a giveaway and it is actually going on on my Instagram I'm picking my winner on March 1st so you still have a couple days to to enter go on to my Instagram at break the facades and you can go ahead and uh like tag and hopefully win a t-shirt a free t-shirt so thank you so much for listening in as usual I will see you next time